I became uh, interested in originalism theory after reading 1 Corinthians 4, 6, where it says, don't go beyond what is written. And I think this is a, a valuable tool for us to use in our study and in our application for what we see written in the scriptures. So let's take a harder look at that and see if we can make some definitions. I'm Robert Winfield, and this is Chapter House. The original meaning theory is the view that the interpretation of text should be based on what reasonable people living at the time of its adoption would have understood the ordinary meaning of the text to be. Original theory should be applied to scripture and verse since the scripture is in effect laws, statutes, blessings, and commands, albeit they were laid down in the form of principles, narration, historical fact, and stories. The history of the English Bible says, Originalism itself is an umbrella term for interpretive methods that hold to the fixation thesis, the notion that an utterance's semantic content is fixed at the time it is uttered. For all intent, it does away with what the speaker intended to say and only regards what the speaker has said. The late Justice Scalia described his stance for originalism as it applied to the Constitution. I'm first of all a textualist, and secondly, an originalist. If you are a textualist, you don't care about the intent, and I don't care if the framers of the Constitution had some secret meaning in the mind when they adopted its words. I take the words as they were promoted to the people of the United States, and what is the fairly understood meaning of those words. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes also argued for originalism. The issue was not what this man meant, but what those words would mean in the mouth of a normal speaker of English, using them in the circumstances in which they were used. In this context, we should understand that the first century people Jesus spoke to about the gospel were not theologians. The people Jesus spoke to on the mount were for the most part simple folk of tinkers, farmers, herders, beggars, prostitutes, tax collectors, carpenters, launderers and laborers. Jesus' own disciples had issues with the lack of education towards scripture and secular schooling, possibly from the inability to fully read or write. Many places in the scripture he was amazed that they were not picking up on his teachings as fast as he expected, especially on the subject of using their faith. However, they eventually grabbed hold of what the master was plainly telling them and they became giants of the faith. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here that I wrote down pertaining to how people perceived um, Peter and John. Acts 4.13 in the message, their fascination deepened when they realized these two, Peter and John, were laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. Acts 4.13 in King James Version, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, etc., etc., and Acts 4.13 in the Amplified Classic. Now when they saw the boldness and unfettered eloquence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and untrained in the schools, common men with no educational advantages, professor of divinity at the University of Glasgow, 
William Barclay is quoted as saying, religion fails if it cannot speak to men as they are. These two men were handpicked by Jesus. Can you imagine the state of the other people that were lower down on the social economic pole than John and Peter? Whatever they heard, they had to take it at face value. They had no Bible concordance, commentaries, biblical maps, outlines, cyclopedic index, nine-point text, translation notes, a dictionary, or a New Testament. They were at the mercy of the spoken word as it was being spoken. This is one of the issues that makes interpretation of Scripture many times so unneedful and potentially unreliable. Abraham was in a similar situation and maybe even more so because he was thousands of years before the disciples. He didn't have an Old Testament, the prophets, or the book of Moses to go by. He was it. In essence, he had to believe the raw word without any explanation or comparison. God said it, he believed it, acted on it, and that was it. Everything God told Abraham and did for him is an application for the modern-day Christian. How much education in reading, writing, philosophy, and theology do we think Abraham possessed? Many of the mysteries of God can be explained simply by taking what's written in Scripture at face value. For the most part, it's the words of God we have rejected that need to be explained. But since we gravitate towards affirmation more than revelation, many times even theological commentary won't carry us through. There is an interpretation, and then there's a definition. It's important to identify the two in reading commentary. Definition is not an interpretation. Definition, the act of defining or of making something definite, distinct, or clear. The formal statement of significance of a word, phrase, idiom, etc. to clearly outline. An interpretation, a concept or rendering, the action of explaining the meaning of something oral translation, the act of analyzing an idea to develop a principle or, wait for it, theory. So I'm going to give you an example of what uh, theory is so we don't mix it up with definition. This is something that I avoid even though um, in this particular example I believe it but I would never preach it and I would never try to convince you it's true because it's theory. It's not actually a definition. So we're going to look at uh, Mark, um, psh, 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 Mark 16, 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So, here's my conjecture. Here's my interpretation, okay? When, and this is in red. So when Jesus says, in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, then I can assume that Jesus spoke in tongues. Why? Because he's not going to tell us that um, we can do something that he didn't do. Did he cast out demons? Yep. Did he heal the sick? Yes. Did he speak in new tongues? Yes, but I can't prove that. I can only say that because he's asking us or telling us we would do this. So my interpretation would say, 
Well, Jesus spoke in tongues because of this. Well, I believe he did, but it is not enough to pass on as schooled um, definitions. So that's just an example of what I'm talking about, the dif difference between a, a definition and interpretation. Now, I'm not suggesting that there should never be interpretation of Scripture. I'm saying that much of the Bible simply doesn't call for it. In many cases, interpretation is called for when we don't like what the Word says or when we find it too fantastic to believe. We presume it must not mean what it says because we can't or won't wrap our heads around it or use our faith. People will ignore what they don't understand. Over time, the inability to read, understand, and follow Scripture in the general body of Christ has led to postmodern doctrines that eliminate absolutes and or focus on activism. This same body has become dependent on those with a liberal progressive agenda to twist doctrines, precepts, statutes, and commandments, and to do all the thinking, translating, and pontificating. In short, preaching anti-doctrine doctrines. They walk as mere men, making truth relative and homogenizing Jesus into a manageable deity. The Bible doesn't change to fit our society or century or theology, our philosophy, our activism, or ideology. It's our job as Christians to fit the word into our lives, spirit, soul, and body. It's called the transforming of the mind. This point is made very plain over and over again in Scripture. There's no longer any reason to be scripturally illiterate and spiritually challenged. We can learn to discern the differences between surrendering to Jesus and merely incorporating Him into our life. We can comprehend what His Gospel says if we simply do what we read. In Psalms, we see an example of this simplicity. The law of the Lord is perfect restoring the whole person. The testimony or declaration of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So when the Lord declares something in His Word, it makes the simple person wise. The written Word of God is for the simplest of persons. The caveat to this verse is that simple people must comprehend the testimony in order to become wise. No understanding, no results. So if the testimony or declaration of the word was overly complicated, mystical, relative, or metaphorical, or meant something different than what it said, how would a simple person comprehend it? In order to comprehend it, they would have to take it at face value. The word of God is not going to be imparted to us through our intellect. We can understand this by analyzing the word simple. Simple, meaning free of guile or unsophisticated. In John 1.47, written in red, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile, lacking in mental acuteness, common or ordinary, unlearned and credulous. Word credulous. Credulous, willing to believe and trust without proper or adequate evidence. So who has a credulous mindset? Would you say maybe a child? Matthew 18.3 And I said, Verily, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
I believe the method of original theory is a starting point for us to understanding and comprehending the Word of God. It is a simple and sustainable approach to godly understanding and wisdom. In the written word, don't think beyond what is written, is the mantra in understanding the Bible. Granted, it won't answer every question, like where did the giants come from, but it will answer just about every question you need answered in order to develop and mature. We can't lose faith in what we are reading. It's when we question every turn as being true, we diminish our own forward learning momentum. The Word is created to make faith. As we go, I will give you parameters and examples of how to read and deconstruct verses and apply definitions to attain a simple and first century understanding. Without a simple understanding, the church is splintered and incredible. It's time for every new believer to be able to read, understand, and be doers of the Word. I'll leave you with this quote by Lewis Wallace, the writer of Ben-Hur. Perfection is God. Simplicity is perfection. The curse of curses is that man will not let truths like this one alone. So, stand in faith, walk in love, and launch out into the deep. Till next time.